Welcome to a very special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We are focusing on the contributors to the Sacred Stories uh, Publishing Company's newest uh, book, compilation, if you will, of stories called Mayhem to Miracles. And today's guest on the program is Dr. Bernie Siegel, back for a third time on Tell Me Your Story. Of course, this is the first time that we've been dealing with this subject of Mayhem to Miracles. And uh, Bernie, it's it's great to have you back on the program. I always enjoy our conversations. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I, it was pleasure, of course, uh, to meet your grandson uh, on the work that you and he compiled and put together. That was wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, he's uh, very talented at his age, you know, sensitive to so many things that most of us take a lifetime to wake up to. That's why you talk about mayhem. You know, you need a disaster and then you wake up to what's going on in the world and what other people are going through and everything changes. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's exciting to uh, to know that there are members of the younger set. It's just weird for me to be saying that because I uh, well, of course, we both have <laughs> were at one time a member of that set. Uh, but it's just strange to hear that coming from my lips uh, because I was always the youngest in the group as I was uh, as I was growing up, even into my teens and 20s, uh, because of the folks that I hung out with uh, uh, from the spiritual and metaphysical communities. Let's talk, uh, of course, uh, as we uh, will be doing about <clears throat> uh, the the uh, contributions you have made uh, to uh, this uh, wonderful compendium, if you will, uh, called Mayhem to Miracles. You obviously have a story in there that uh, you submitted uh, called Spiritual Flat Tire Miracles of Life. And right. uh, I, I have to say that I, I've been driving since I was 38. I have not. I didn't get the 16-year-old uh, uh, introduction, uh, but uh, I have not had the necessity to change a flat tire yet. And I know that we're not talking about a literal flat tire here, uh, but I know that it seems as though in life we have them, and it might behoove us to learn how to change them, or at least know someone who does. Well, I mean, I'm talking about it literally. Aha! And because one of the things, you know, we just had the anniversary of the 9-11 uh, disaster. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting the next day when people said, oh, my wife told me you have to go pick up something for the kids before you go to work. And I was really annoyed. But you know what? It saved my life because I went to get something for the kids and therefore was late to work and wasn't in the building when the plane crashed. And there were quite a number of people who said that, you know, whether it was I had to go shopping or I had to pick up something or take the kids to school or whatever it was. Um, and, and that's when you realize, well, Jung said it, the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. And there are times you really get the message to do something differently um, and don't fight it. Um, just pay attention to that intuitive wisdom that's in you. And so that's why I started calling these things spiritual flat tires, because you could have your life saved that way. And um, I mean, one real flat tire was interesting because again, that, 
who plans these things? I give a lecture. Somebody's taking me to the airport to go home. She gets a flat tire and she says to me, oh, the jack's in my husband's car. I, we can't change the tire. So I figure, oh, yeah, I'm going to miss the flight. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? And suddenly a car pulls up. A young man jumps out and says, can I help you? I said, yeah, we don't have a jack. Well, in two minutes, this kid changed the tire a lot faster than I ever would have. And we made the plane. But again, it's why was he on the highway at that moment? You know, yeah. If he five minutes early, he would have been past that spot. So there are no coincidences. Let's put it that way. And the other thing I've learned from that you might call them flat tires is when things have happened in our family. One was one of our children who kept telling me his leg hurts. And I kept saying, take a hot bath. And he said to me, I need an x-ray. And he was seven years old. I said, what do you know about x-rays? I need an x-ray. And I thought, if he's saying it, he knows something, you know, intuitive. And he had a tumor, which from the appearance of it uh, meant you lose your leg and you'll probably die because your father was telling you to take hot baths instead of getting it out of there. Mm -hmm. Well, fortunately, I may say before I tell the end of the story, it was a very rare but benign tumor. So he didn't lose his leg. Uh, just a piece of the bone. But anyway, why, before he had the surgery, and I'm picturing what's going to happen to him and death and everything else, he came into me one morning and said, Dad, I said, what is it, Keith? Can I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure, what is it? You're handling this poorly. That's a seven-year-old telling me <laughs> I'm handling it poorly. He said, we're, we have five kids. We're, we're trying to go out in the yard and play and have fun. And you keep telling us to go sit in our room and be depressed, you know, because of what's going to happen to me. And we want to go out and play. And he taught me, yes, go out and play, you know, live in the moment, enjoy yourself. Because what I learned was when you let people live in the moment and enjoy themselves, and the flat tire and everything else, they didn't die where they were supposed to. And many of them had the disease go into complete remission. Self-induced healing is the term. It's, it's not lucky. It's because they began to enjoy life and their body got the message. So I'd say to people, don't live the life somebody else imposes on you, whether it's parents or anybody else. And um, enjoy your life and don't wait for a disaster to live where you want, do what you want and everything else. You know, I think two lawyers, one who wrote in the law review, um, oh, don't, oh boy, it, it was, it had to do, oh yeah, here it is. While learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. And you see, lawyers are taught how to think. And then... A tragedy comes and he learns about feeling and doing what makes you happy not, and stop thinking about everything. Um, I can't remember what the other lawyer's. Oh, yeah, I know the other lawyer's story. He's a lawyer because his parents insisted he become a lawyer. That's what they want to tell the neighbors. Our son, the lawyer, not our son, the violinist. And when he developed cancer, he closed his door to his office and said, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. 
Mm. And he got a job playing the violin in an orchestra. And of course, a few years later, he isn't dead. He's having a wonderful time as part of an orchestra playing his violin. And I can tell you endless stories about that. So I'd say to people, don't wait for your flat tire. You know, live where you want to, do what you want to, enjoy yourself. Well, I don't remember who said that quote, but enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Yeah. So, you know, you live your life. And that's something I've learned. And I had good therapy parents because uh, I'd say the, this, these three things to people. Um, I'd come home and say, Ma, I had a horrible day at school. Everything went wrong. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. <laughs> yeah, that's the feeling I had. Ma, will you help me a minute? <laughs> But you'd be surprised how much time I sat in my bedroom talking to God because my mother was no help. But I learned, again, you don't know the future. So something good could happen because something bad happened. And uh, so I began to realize she isn't wrong all the time. Yeah. And the other <laughs> Ma, I have to decide something about what to do. Do what makes you happy. Yeah. Ma, can you give me a little advice about what's the best choice? Do what makes you happy. And I learned also from people with AIDS, cancer, many of them put signs on their refrigerator saying, let your heart make up your mind. You know, they got in touch with their feelings. And that's what my mother was telling me. And the last was uh, my father's father died uninsured due to tuberculosis, leaving a wife and six children with nothing. Hmm. Um, My father said it, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it taught me what was important about life. Hmm. So he learned, if you don't want to do something, you say no. If you want to help somebody, you help them. And he helped an awful lot of people, but including me, uh, who got married as I finished medical school and didn't have any money. And I said to him, I feel guilty asking you for help. And he said, if I don't want to do it, I'll say no. Mm -hmm. And boy, that was a lesson. And truthfully, one psychiatrist has that in the list he calls immune competent personality because he noticed the people who lived longer with certain diseases, they were asked to do something by friends or family and were able to say no if they didn't want to. They had a longer survival rate than the people who said yes to everything that everybody asked them because of their guilt feelings. So you let your heart make up your mind. You know, my father uh, had some great advice as well along those same lines. He says, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. Uh, And he also told me, and this goes to what you just said about uh, do what makes you happy. Uh, When I was a young man, uh, uh, actually a boy, uh, my dad was uh, an appliance uh, repairman as well as uh, worked uh, printing checks this was back in those days when they had the printing press and, and uh, you had to typeset and all those things. And uh, <clears throat> he told me, he says, make sure you uh, find a job that you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. Don't get stuck like me. Now, he didn't stay stuck, but uh, those are the words that he gave me. And I have uh, really lived by those for, well, 40 plus years uh, in terms of my career. 
I'm 61 now, very happy at what I do, love doing this, love sitting here chatting with you here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, and my special guest here on the program today is Bernie Siegel. He is one of the contributors to the book uh, collection of stories called Mayhem to Miracles, available through the Sacred Stories Publishing Company, sacredstoriespublishing.com. Hope that you'll get yourself a copy of this book and read the stories. Read Bernie's story about uh, those flat tires in life. Well, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Bernie Siegel's my guest, and we are talking about uh, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. It's great to have you back on the program, Bernie, and to chat more about uh, the work that you're doing, not only through this uh, wonderful compendium, if you will, as I like to call it, of uh, stories called Mayhem to Miracles through the Sacred Stories Publishing Company, but also the work that you are doing on your own as well. Uh, certainly, we had you on the program talking uh, with you and your grandson about a, a book that the two of you compiled together, you, you two worked together on. What, uh, what is right now, first and foremost, on the, uh, I'm going to say, on the heart of Bernie Siegel? Well, right now, I'm high on the list, taking care of myself. Um, my wife died. It'll be four years in January. I mean, I, I mean that we could do a whole show on. Mm -hmm. She has kept communicating with me. It's just been unbelievable. I wrote an article called We Don't Die because I've gotten things from her. Um, oh, let me just say this. It's like we were married on the 11th. I have found the diamond a penny in more places that you can't explain how it got there you know, from the mattress of our bed under everything to a bird bath in the yard. I mean, just unbelievable. So I know she's watching over me and talking to me, but I miss her. And the interesting thing was it taught me what I preach that, you know, when people would get sick, I'd say, what's going on in your life? Why do you think it happened now? Why this particular illness? And doctors would yell at me, you're blaming your patients. I said, I'm not. I'm trying to get them to understand why they got sick at this time. Like Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses, you know, because yeah. of how people feel. And nine months after she died and she was um, born on 9-9, I had a heart arrhythmia. And I knew that was so classical. You know, what is broken in my body? My heart. I love her. And mm. she died. Yeah. And when I found her in the morning dead, when I went to wake her up, I thought she was sleeping. Oh, I felt an electric shock in my heart. So to me, it was classical what happened nine months later. And um, let me just share this so people understand the crazy things that happened. I said she was born 9-9. I go to the emergency room. I hear a voice yell, put him in room nine. Then they tell me, we don't have a room for you in the hospital, which was damn unusual, I thought. The next day, we got it. What was the number of the room? 819. <laughs> then I look at my wristband, which they put on me as they make me a patient. My patient number is eight, which is a new beginning number, symbolically. And then 996633. So everything adds up to nine. And... I knew, well, my wife is watching over me. I'm fine. So just relax. I mean, <laughs> because no matter what went on 
And even when they would put me in a room to do some tests, I'd look at the floor and there'd be a dime and a penny lying on the floor of an examining room. Mm. Again, it's like, wow. So, you know, she got me through it. And it's a hard part for medicine to understand. You know, you're taking care of not just the head, but the heart too. Yeah. As you said, not just the diagnosis, but the patient's story. Um, and those are things that I saw when I had my own problems and how it emphasized all the things. And, and it made me pay attention to patients. Yeah. One woman said to me that really redirected my life. I need to know how to live between office visits. Because she said, you're a nice guy. I feel better in the office, but I can't take you home with me. <laughs> so I started helping people to live. And that's what we were talking about a few minutes ago. When you help them live, they don't die when they were supposed to. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing like meeting people you thought are dead when you go out to give a lecture or, you know, or go out to eat somewhere and you meet somebody and say, well, why didn't you come back to the office? What's the point? All the doctors were telling me I'm going to be dead. You know, and I would never say that, you know, it wasn't I was saying it, but they stopped returning for follow ups because they got such negative feedback. Mm -hmm. That's why I started support groups where you didn't get negative feedback. You got, you know, survivor behavior. Yeah. So what's and the difference? So, so one thing OK, sure. Go ahead. Always define your flat tire. So if you said, I just had a flat tire in my life, I said, what are you experiencing? Tell me what it feels like to have it. And then when you tell me a word, failure, roadblock, confusion, I'd say, what else in your life fits that word? Mm -hmm. And many times people just look at me and say, thank you and walk away because they know damn well what they got to fix in their life. But to explain... When somebody said pressure because of the pain she was in, it was her marriage. Mm. The pain left. She went right home to straighten out her marriage. Um, failure. Oh, my body failed. That's not my question. Oh, well, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must have been a failure as a child. And so you'd hear these stories and it, it really told people what they needed to work on. It wasn't me telling them, it was their own inner awareness coming up with that word and telling them. Yeah, years ago, I had vertigo, dizzy spells, and I thought, hey, dumbbell, do what you tell everybody to do. What's it like? Well, the world is spinning around. I said, yeah. Do you ever stop to think about it? Mm -hmm. you got a wonderful <laughs> symptom. Make you lie down. You're doing too goddamn much. You're flying all around the planet, giving lectures, you got to take it easy and rest. And as soon as I, you know, fixed the schedule, the vertigo went away. Mm. It, it was fascinating because it's, it's like when you live your own sermon, you know, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking with Bernie Siegel, and he is a contributor to the Mayhem to Miracles uh, book that's available through Sacred Stories Publishing. SacredStoriesPublishing.com is the website. I'm sure it's available on Amazon and all the other outlets. And uh, we are uh, talking with Bernie about uh, his contribution as well as some other areas we're going to get into as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. New Paradigms for a New World is uh, what we like to focus on, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. And Bernie, 
A uh, couple of quick things, especially in, in, in lieu of what you just shared with us. And one of them, I want to ask you, uh, what's the difference as a medical professional, as a doctor who is dealing with people who have all kinds of things happening to them, what is the difference between telling them the truth about their condition versus, as you described it, what was it, uh, survival uh, dialogue or talk? Yeah. Well, you see, there is no truth. I mean, statistics are true when you take 100 people, mm -hmm. say, but they're not true when you take one person. Mm -hmm. So that's the part I learned. And what's interesting, what doctors call a spontaneous remission, Solzhenitsyn in his book, Cancer Ward, called self-induced healing. Mm -hmm. Now, why would he use that term? Because Solzhenitsyn had cancer and observed things. And he realized that when people got well when they weren't supposed to, it was self-induced. Something was happening in their life. Whereas doctors would say, oh, you're lucky. That's pretty stupid. <laughs> I learned when people didn't die when they were supposed to, to say, how come you didn't die when you, you know? Yeah, I mean, just so you can smile again. I called up a guy who moved to Colorado to die in the mountains because that's what everybody told him. You'll be dead in a few months. I said to him and the family, call me. I'm coming to the funeral. I feel so close to you. A year goes by, no phone call. I called up to tell the family, why did you ignore me and my emotions and feelings? He answered the phone. He said, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. <laughs> Those are his exact words. And so there were people who bought dogs, bought a house on the ocean, you know, closed their office and got a new job. And... I realized they all, yeah, one was a landscaper. He was another one who became my therapist. Because I said, you need more. I, he had cancer of the stomach. I took out part of his stomach. I said, you should have more treatment. There was some cancer in the lymph nodes. He said, you forgot something. I said, what did I forget? He said, I'm a landscaper. It's springtime. I'm going home, make the world beautiful. So when I die, I leave a beautiful world. Mm. He was not trying not to die. Six years later, the nurse handed me his chart. I said, he's dead. We must have two patients with the same name. She said, open the door. I opened the door. There sat John. <laughs> I have a hernia from lifting boulders in my landscape business. <laughs> I fixed his hernia and he became my therapist. Oh. He made the world a beautiful place. You know, to, I mean, it was it was really therapy. It's like being to a psychiatrist uh, using nature as therapy. And we'd be out together looking at the beauty of the world. And he changed me and what I saw when I took a walk outside. All the colors, all the, just everything, life. I found so, it true that uh, nature is mm -hmm. our best teacher. Your yes. thoughts. Well, I have a quote. I don't know where I put it from Einstein. He <laughs> basically said, when you understand nature, you know about life. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I'm always saying to people is the fall, especially, is God's great teaching time. The, God is really in the blue. Mm -hmm. Sunlight is the yellow. You mix the blue and the yellow, you get the green leaves. 
colors have meaning. I do a lot of work with drawings. But you think about this. Why does the green disappear in the fall and all this beauty appear? All the colors. Mm -hmm. Why don't they show all the time? But that's the typical therapy from God to people. Don't spend your life just being a green leaf. Don't wait till you're almost dead to get rid of the green and say, hey, look how beautiful I am. Look who I really am. Yeah. So I, to me, the fall is teaching us about life. Reveal your beauty. Show your uniqueness. You know, and enjoy that time. And... Uh, I think nature over and over again is, is God displaying the message to us that we should live, you know, follow nature. Yeah. And yes, there are seasons, but they all have their part in our life. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I <clears throat> have entered a new season in my life being 61 years of age. And, and uh, you know, I was talking with someone many years ago when I was in my early 50s. Asking, uh, so when, uh, when does one become a senior citizen? And, and the gal says to me, she says, well, it really depends upon who you talk to. Because some people will say it's 55 because some places will give you special treatment, special benefits and so forth. Some say it's 60, some say 65 and so on and so on and so on. And of course, I've never liked the, the term senior citizen. Uh, actually, in my 20s, I coined the phrase seasoned citizen. That's good. Because that's what we are. We have been seasoned by, well, you could say the seasons, uh, but we've been seasoned by the life that we've lived. And some of us uh, have uh, uh, maybe <laughs> gotten more seasoning than others. But uh, the fact of the matter is it's what makes us who we are. And you are not just a doctor, but you're also an author. How many books have you written in your lifetime so far? Because well, you're still you here. Also about a flat tire. In college, I was, you know, science major, but I took, I was, I was an artist and I had been. I painted a lot of portraits. I was very artistic, but I thought I'll take a course in creative writing too. I got one C in four years of college, creative mm. writing. Mm -hmm. And so one night after I gave a talk, somebody came up to me and said, did you ever think of writing a book and let the book go around? You don't have to keep running around talking. I said, I'm not a writer. But again, no coincidences. He talked to somebody, you talked to somebody. They <laughs> gathered a group of people together and I talked to a, a recording machine for hours and hours. The way I'm talking to you, and that got turned into my first book, which was a New York Times bestseller, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, back in, I think, about 1987, probably. Wow. And, um, and I remember my sense of humor. And that's something important, the point I want to make. If you laugh, you live longer and don't age as quickly. And if you lose track of time, your body doesn't age. You know, I mean, if you thought... Ooh. And I mean this seriously. I've seen this in my own body. Mm -hmm. I've been in pain, but was painting a portrait. I realized you just stood up for three hours. How did you manage to do that? Well, I was painting the portrait I was creating. I had no sense of my body or time. And I noticed the same thing in the operating room because <clears throat> I had injured my back. And I, I literally 
the pain was excruciating, but I could operate on people or paint portraits and not feel pain until I was done. Then I'd flop down on the floor, you know, and take it easy and let my back feel better. But um, that showed me again, how much the body is affected by what's going on in your mind and your attitude and everything else. So I'd say to people, do what makes you lose track of time and you won't get older. And the other is you laugh, even for no reason. These are studies that are done. Those patients lived longer uh, than people with the same diseases who didn't laugh for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm a comedian. I can't help it. I'm, I'm a crazy kid. <laughs> so it, it's like a part of me that I have no control over. <clears throat> so when people talk to me, you know, I say crazy things and behave in a crazy way. And then they all end up laughing. I mean, one of my favorites is, I didn't do it to you when you said hello, but I went into the post office the other day because I do this so often. How are you today? And I've been training them. I say, when I come in, say, you're looking very well today. Don't say, how are you? How are you feeling? Well, the guy behind the counter still hasn't learned his lesson. So he said, how are you today? I said, I'm depressed. I've run out of my antidepressant and my doctor's on vacation, so I can't refill my prescription. (laughs) And everybody is, you know, in the COVID line is staring at me like, oh, my God, what's he going through? Then I get a poke in the back. Usually what happens is people offer me their antidepressant. Nobody's ever poked me in the back. I turn around. Woman said, I am a psychiatrist who specializes in depression. Here's my card. Maybe I can help you. <laughs> I busted out laughing. And everybody's looking at me. What are you laughing about? She's trying to help you. I said, I'm not depressed. I am a doctor. <clears throat> I do that just to train people not to ask me. So I had to explain everything to everybody. But, um, you know, we're all wounded. I know that. But, you know, be good to each other. Not just how I am. Let me give you a hug. Yeah. yeah, in the supermarket the other day, lady with a bandage over her eye came up. And this impressed me because she said, see, her flat tire. She said, you're the only person in Stop and Shop who hasn't asked me what happened. <laughs> that impressed me. You know, she's yeah. got a visible wound. And I would tell that to people. Put a bandage on. Let people talk to you about your troubles and their troubles. You'll all feel better. But my crazy self, I said, because I know what happened. She looks at me, you know what happened to me? I said, yeah, I got an abusive spouse also. And then she looked at me like, what are you crazy? You know, (laughs) that my husband didn't punch me in the eye. Uh, And so I told her I was just kidding. Yeah. But but I was really impressed. And I tell that to people. You want to get more compassion, put a bandage on. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's wrong with you. Put a bandage on your arm and watch how many people say, oh, what happened? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah. we're all. And, and the trouble, again, when you talk about doctors, when I wrote articles about my experience and sent them to psychiatry journals, they came back saying it's appropriate, but it isn't interesting. <laughs> when you sent it to medical journals, it came back saying it's interesting, but it's not appropriate. <laughs> and that's. That's the sickness of medicine. You know, they're not treating a person. 
They're treating a diagnosis. You got an emotional problem, psychiatric problem, you got a physical problem, but they go together. You can't separate it. Well, we're talking with Bernie Siegel, and we're talking about, uh, obviously, a lot of different things here on the program, but he uh, is here on the program to help us to uh, learn more about uh, our own personal flat tires as we go through life, and that's uh, the title of his, uh, his latest uh, story that is in Mayhem to Miracles that is published by... Sacred Stories Publishing Company. SacredStoriesPublishing.com is where you can find out more. You may be able to uh, purchase the book there, if not on Amazon and other locations uh, on the Internet as well. Maybe your local bookstore, if you have one, uh, may even have copies of it as well. And uh, we are talking with him here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I want to ask you, Bernie Siegel, who uh, is our guest here on Tell Me Your Story, in reference to, you, you mentioned that your wife passed four years ago, and you talked about the heart condition, the murmur immediately following, and I, hey, my heart is hurting, it's broken because she's gone. Now, I didn't find out about this until two or three years after the fact. My uh, ex or former, I should say, I want to say former, former parents-in-law, the husband uh, my former father-in-law passed away of an aneurysm, which they knew was there for decades, but there was nothing, it was inoperable. There was nothing to do about it. And it finally, I guess it burst and, and he passed. And then his wife, my former mother-in-law passed four months later. And I guess they actually put, I don't know if it's on the death certificate, but the medical records, and she died of a broken heart. Uh, she, obviously uh, they were very connected in that regard. Right. Now, the way you've described it, I would say you probably had, and obviously to this day, uh, in a matter of speaking, you still have that kind of relationship with your wife. Is, has there been uh, uh, any point along this way in the, in the past four years where you say, you know what, I, I just want to go be with her. I'm, I'm done here. Or well, She is with me. And so that's the difference, though, is that you're not going anywhere yet. You used... You- this is one of the other things that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. People don't say, I said my wife died. You talked about people who passed. Uh-huh. I why used a problem? different term. Yeah, but why do you have trouble saying died? I, I, the only reason that I use a, a different word is only because the word die uh, for a lot of people is energetically charged. I'll even use the word trans, uh, um, transition. Well, I think we should use the word died and get used to it and understand it and accept ah. it. Because at the hospital, mm-hmm. I walked into a room where a friend of mine, a neighbor, had been, and the bed was empty. So I said to the nurse, oh, Alan died. And she said, no, he bradied. I said, now, what does that mean? <laughs> Guess the name of the building that the morgue is in. Oh, Brady. Brady building, uh-huh. yeah. So he's Brady. <laughs> I mean, that's how sick it is. Yeah. You know, that yeah. we keep seeing death as it's, uh, he's lost, he's gone, this, he's that. Death is not a failure, okay? We're all going to die someday. Mm-hmm. If you don't live, then, yeah. Because if the best hospices have dropouts and graduations. Because you go there... And they say, well, let's get your life in order, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they get their life in order and they say, you know, I feel better now. 
I think I'll go home for a while. It, you know, it's like I haven't talked to my son for 20 years. And now that I'm dying, he's come and visited and we have a relationship. So I think I'll go home and keep talking to him. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So we've got to live with a sense of our mortality. Definitely. Point. And well, I, I your point is very well taken. Body, you know, not yeah. our so that goes on. I, I had a near-death experience as a four-year-old choking on a toy. I had a past life experience when somebody said to me, why are you living this life? I went into a trance. She was referring to how busy I was. And I saw myself, and to make a, just a long story short, I saw myself with a sword in my hand killing. And I said, wow, maybe that's why I'm a surgeon, um, mm. to help people with the sword. And so... I know all these things, and even my wife was a part of my past life. And I know our marriage in this life solved a lot of problems from the families in the past life, you know, healing and bringing us all together. But it's, again, my wife died in her sleep. As I said, it was a shock to take her hand to say, hey, honey, come on, it's time to get up and realize how cold it was. And that's why the only thing I can describe is like, I got, a, you know, it's like getting hit by lightning. Mm -hmm. I felt a zap in the chest. Um, my heart didn't go crazy right then and there, but over the ensuing months, yeah. But, but as I say, I still stay in our home. Um, she wanted to live her life in this house and die here, and she did. Uh, I stole, a, I, I didn't steal it, it fell down. I picked it up. It was a road sign that said Sunset Lane. And it said to me what my wife wants. She wants to live here till the sun sets on her life. Mm. So I took it off the driveway and now it's in our front yard for me to just pay attention to. But after she died, I mean, literally she communicated with me and still does finding things, hearing sounds in the middle of the night, human sounds. They can't be from anybody except her spirit. Right. Um, and, and the kissing me goodnight was incredible. She dies. Over the next few weeks, I hear a noise every night when I get in bed, like blowing out a candle. And then I'd feel a breeze on my face. Mm. I thought, oh, she's kissing me goodnight. Mm. This went on for weeks. Um, you know, I may have pets in the house, but they're not climbing on my chest. And, you know, blowing on my face. They're not even in the room. <laughs> so, you know, finding these things and the, these signs uh, and even to our five kids, too. Um, I mean, one that was mystical the other day, my cell phone disappeared. I couldn't find it. I called it. I don't hear it ringing. I can't find it anywhere. One of our kids came over, searched the house. He said, I can't find it. It's gone. That, and he jumps in his car and drives away. Five minutes later, he pulls back up to the door. He said, Dad, I heard Mom's voice. She told me that your cell phone is sitting on a chair out in the yard. We, I live in a very wooded area. Um, and I went up there to the chairs, and here's your cell phone. <laughs> now, I did not sit there. I didn't drop my phone there. I don't know how the hell my wife found my phone and put it somewhere. <laughs> But he heard her voice, you know, and that's what makes them believers. And they don't say, oh, our father's crazy. You can't believe all the things he says. But then when something happens to them, you know, 
uh, then it's like, oh, okay, we won't question that anymore. Um, all those symbols and numbers and things that show up. So yeah. I have paintings that I did of her around me in the house. And so I'm always talking to her. I play certain songs that mean something about relationships, love, all kinds of things. I have no trouble going to the cemetery and all the messages I put on the, on the stone, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it with you and, mm. uh, and things like that. And I'll be lying there next to her someday too. Yeah. But, you know, I go there, I may walk the dog, uh, you know, I'm not just going to the cemetery, but still we walk around, let her know. I'm always thinking of her when she knows I am. So, you know, it's, there's a completeness to it. Yeah. Now, at the same time, I could say, damn right, I missed her. Um, you know, it broke my heart. So my heart acted out. Mm -hmm. I had to get help. But um, on the other hand, I, I am not going to, well, another symbol. I'm not going to put out my wife's heavenly candle with her tears and my tears you know, by grieving all the time. So I want her to have a good time in heaven and look down and laugh every now and then at me um, rather than just be, you know, letting my tears and my grief uh, make her time in heaven uncomfortable and unhappy. Yeah. <clears throat> Spiritual Flat Tires is what we're talking about. The story that Bernie Siegel has contributed to the book, Mayhem to Miracles, published through Sacred Stories Publishing. It's the third in a series, starting with uh, Chaos to Clarity uh, and Crappy to Happy. And uh, this particular uh, compilation is one that is available through sacredstoriespublishing.com. Certainly go there and find out more as we continue talking with Bernie Siegel here on Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're looking for those new ways of living because uh, it's pretty obvious the old ways don't work. Uh, but just look around you. Uh, we've got to find those new ways. And I think that, Bernie, you have, you have helped to facilitate at least the thinking about, the processing yes. of, uh, the, uh, at least uh, the imagination in us in terms of saying, hey, uh, let's consider other possibilities. When they declared the pandemic, my first thought was when they shut down the country, hey, guess what? It's this new thing. Some people are saying it's like the flu. Some people are saying it's this, that, and the other thing. But we're doing something different. Einstein always told us, he says, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, guess what? We're doing something totally different this time. Finally, finally. And we don't know what the end result's going to be, but it's going to be different. It's going to be absolutely different. And that excited me because of the opportunities that we didn't even know existed at that time. See, the things that integrate into all that I've been doing, I could show you magazines from the 1990s um, where I was interviewed because of my books and things. And the headlines are the controversial Dr. Bernie Siegel. And when I was on <laughs> Oprah um, and she liked me and agreed with me, but she always invited five or six doctors to yell at me. <laughs> that was crazy. 
and why are you blaming your patients? And oh boy, it used to wear me out. And I'll tell you something, boy, was I impressed with Phil Donahue. I went with three women with cancer to be on his show. And the stage was all set and I got up to go up there. He said, no, not you. I said, excuse me. He said, you're in the audience. You sit down in the front row. I want the three women up on the stage. And boy, did I respect him for that. He knew who the teachers were. See, they were the people living the experience with cancer. They were teaching me. So they went up on the stage and they were the teachers for everybody. It wasn't like Oprah, you know, Phil didn't invite five doctors to yell at us. So everybody learned from us. And I'd say, that's the key. Learn, you know, keep your mind open and learn from your experience. And that's what I've done. And all the wounds that we accumulate over our lifetime. Yeah, let me give you another fact. Harvard students were asked, did your parents love you? If they said no, 98% had suffered a major illness by middle age. If they said, yes, my parents loved me, 24% had suffered a major illness by middle age. So you see where, you know, your parents loving you. Yeah, what saved my life was my grandparents. Because my mother, oh, my whole life could be a movie. I mean, it, it sounds like <laughs> fiction. My mother was very sick with hyperthyroidism, lost enormous amount of weight. And the doctors told her, do not become pregnant. It could kill you. The added stress. But her mother said, I want a grandchild. No. So my mother went ahead and became pregnant. And then her body was so weak, she couldn't deliver the child. She said, I was in labor for weeks. And they finally said to me, you won't survive a cesarean section. We have to get him out. So they did what I know at that time was called the high forceps because I didn't learn this till I was an adult. There are no pictures in our album of this battered kid, which my mother described as a purple melon. She said, that's what they handed me, a purple melon, not a child. Mm. Put you in a carriage, covered it, and hid you behind the house so it wouldn't upset anybody. So I said to her, when I, as a, a doctor, knew all these things, because if you look through the family album and you see a covered carriage, what would I think? Oh, I was sleeping. But I said to her, how the hell did I survive if nobody's touching me and massaging me and loving me? And she said, oh, my mother took you, poured oil all over you and pushed everything back where it belonged four and five times a day. So I realized I was then the most loved kid on the planet. My grandmother's loving me. And let me tell you how that stays in our bodies. 50 years later, for the first time, because the male massage therapist was so busy, I said, sure, it's okay if your wife does me. You do my wife and your wife will do me. A woman massaged my shaved head. I went back to being an infant. It was like my grandmother's hands on my shaved head. It was incredible, wonderful experience. So I opened my eyes completely at peace. And what do I see? 20 people standing around staring at me. I said, what the hell's going on? I'm getting a massage. Her husband said, we thought you had a heart attack or a stroke. We couldn't communicate with you. You were gone. I said, yeah. 
I became an infant again. Because mm. let me tell you the story of my grandmother's hands. But that taught me another thing. See how our life is stored in our body. And that's why if you store up love, what a difference it makes. Uh, if you store up the hatred and resentment and bitterness, you know, the Monday morning syndrome, mm -hmm. all those things make that toll of Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you talk about these things like this because, again, uh, <clears throat> without harping on this, 61 years of age, and um, I have been fairly healthy most all of my life. These last couple of years have been rather interesting, to say the least. A year ago, July, uh, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in less than a month and a half, gone. Because, number one, uh, I, I, I used to have a, a, a really, I, I used to say horrible sweet tooth, and I drank sodas. Now, I drank sodas as a kid growing up when I bicycled, when I delivered newspapers and all of that, but at least I was exercising, so I didn't gain weight. I was constantly moving, but uh, my blood sugar went through the roof. I mean, I, we're talking A1C at 11.2, and uh, when they tested me when I was diagnosed, I was 544. That was my blood sugar reading on that day. And the doc says, oh, Richard, this is going to, you're going to, it's a long journey, Richard. Long. And I said, no, 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 it's not. I know how I got here. See, it started with the pandemic. See, my blood sugar had been normal for so many years before. I said, it was a pandemic. What did we all go to? Most people go to when they call the pandemic, say, you got to stay home and just only go to the store if you absolutely need to. We ate comfort foods, sugars and carbs. And that's basically what my wife and I did. So I turned it right around and I've been free and cleared of it. As a matter of fact, the last, my last physical, which was in September of 2021, <clears throat> the doc uh, actually, and, and how many times have you ever said, it's a miracle to any one of your patients who have overcome whatever it is well he used that word yeah. and then in the in the in the final notes uh, of my uh, recent physical he said you wouldn't even know you had type 2 diabetes you wouldn't even know it and my blood sugar i still have the meter i still stick my finger every once in a while just to kind of just make sure i right. don't drink sodas haven't had a soda since july 23rd 2020 not one and uh, I lost like 10 pounds during that process. But then this year, 2021, August, my gallbladder got real infected and I had a gallstone the size of a golf ball. So they ripped that out. By the way, it happened during the Olympics. So I said, yeah, I have a gold medal in gallbladder cleaning jerk. <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 that, and then I find out that I'm, I'm one of five in my family of eight who do not have their gallbladder, which is fascinating. Uh, whether whether it's genetic or not, I don't know. All I know is I'm glad it's gone because it was kind of hurting. I thought it was indigestion. You know how most guys, they say the, the uh, pain in the body? That's, that's it's indigestion. Yeah. But, yeah. It took out gallbladder strength. Yeah. Uh, now they do it through a little hole. <clears throat> and yep. mine was, my gallbladder uh, gallstone was so big, they actually had to make the hole bigger. But uh, I got to tell you, even when I was diagnosed there in the emergency room, they'd run the tests and everything. I wasn't scared. Uh, I was feeling really good aside from the pain, thinking, okay, we'll get this done and then I'll, uh, I'll move on. 
I mean, I was ready to start moving stuff around uh, the day of the surgery, and they said, don't you dare. <laughs> but health, you, the old saying, if you have your health, you have everything. And yeah. you as a doctor, medical doctor, probably really try to reinforce that on your patients, uh, especially if they're in pain. What's your definition of health? That's, that's, yeah. those are the people who impressed me. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Um, oh, dear. Blind and deaf. Oh, Helen Keller. Helen Keller. She's one of my teachers reading her books. Mm -hmm. See, because how many people who are blind and deaf from the time they're three years old are going to be happy and teachers and, you know, not be mad at God and that's why reading her words are incredible. So she never felt that God was punishing her or that she did anything wrong. You know, uh, if you start, see, you could say, oh, my gallbladder, I must have sinned. God gave me a gallbladder. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. You know, no. There's a personality to healing. Yeah. And people have to understand that. A survivor personality. So it's important to understand and not get into the guilt, shame, and blame. Uh, stuff. Yeah. And so I learned from the survivors, you know, and say, hey, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? <laughs> and wonderful stories that come from them. So yeah. I try to live it. Yeah. You know, yeah. having a pet in the house. Yeah. A doctor in Australia. People had a heart attack. He looked them up a year later. A dog in the house. Um, I forgot what the percentage was, but it was quite significant. Um, there was far fewer deaths if there was a dog in the house a year after the heart attack than if there was no dog in the house. You know, I forget all this, the percentage numbers, but yeah. they were significant. And he didn't believe it one way or another. He just wanted to see what it did. Yeah. But what you realize when you pet also, this is scientific, a furry creature, your bonding hormones rise. Mm -hmm. So you relate to people and connect better. And I always say this to any women watching this who are single and want a husband, get a dog first, take it for walks. Because in one study, the women who had the dog said, oh, yeah, the man I met, the man I married, I met walking my dog. <laughs> and so get the dog and get out of the house with the dog. Yeah. Well, they also say, too, that having pets in your in your life lowers your blood pressure. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I might as well tell you, I'm 88, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm doing everything, you know? I still mow the lawn and, you know, take care of myself. And yeah, I pay attention to what I eat. Mm -hmm. Again, see, like, talk about the flat tire. It's If you live your life trying to not have a flat tire, you can go nuts, yeah. you know? Because yeah. the other day when I went to the dump, I hit a spike that was in the, the road. And I got a flat tire. It wasn't what I was doing that was crazy, but I got a flat. Okay, mm -hmm. so we fixed it. It's a nuisance. But still, enjoy your life. Don't be afraid to just, you know, avoid flat tires or avoid troubles. Enjoy your life. Do what makes you happy and live it. Yeah, so I don't stop driving around mm -hmm. uh, because I had a flat. I say, okay, it happened. Yeah. Because, again, how do I know what didn't happen because I had the flat? And I met lots of nice people who helped me. That's uh, yeah. yeah.
Bernie Siegel's my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. We're talking about the book that he has added his story to about the spiritual flat tires in our lives. Uh, and uh, we're talking about it uh, from the context of the book entitled Mayhem to Miracles. That's right. Mayhem to Miracles available through Sacred Stories Publishing Company. SacredStoriesPublishing.com is the website. You can also get it on Amazon and many other locations. And uh, Bernie, you know, I, I always love the opportunity to sit down and chat with you and uh, uh, find out more about you and the work that you have done over the many years that you have been serving the people that have come into your life, whether they be patients or just people in general, your family, uh, how you have shared on this program, especially about your wife and the love you have, have present tense for her, even though she has died. Right. She is still there with you, and, and that's, uh, that's a, an exciting thing to experience, I'm sure. Uh, and nobody, least of all me, uh, thinks in any way, shape, or form that you're crazy. I wish we were all, if you were crazy, I wish we were all as crazy as you. Okay? <laughs> Let me mention a couple little things. Sure. Myself sure. and my wife, and also I have a website, BernieSiegelMD.com. Yes, so go there look up my books and other things i mean you mentioned our grandchild i had written poetry in my you know as part of helping me to heal mm -hmm. suicide rate in doctors is higher than the general population they we're not trained to deal with all this stuff so my wife helped me once when she found my journal she said there's nothing funny in it i said <laughs> my life isn't she said honey listen to all these stories you tell us at dinner that have us laughing and you never put them in your journal, you know? And um, so I started writing about the good things and the poetry. So it wasn't stored up in me. And I'd say that to everybody, don't store it, get it out, put it on paper. And the other was my, my wife, she, she did stand up comedy literally on stage. And um, a lot of it was about relationships. But one thing that happened in the kitchen one day I was angry. I don't know what it was went on, but I'm bellowing and upset. And she said, you're so handsome when you're angry. <laughs> and I just, ah, uh, then I'm standing there smiling and feeling wonderful. So I tell that to all the women, if your husband ever gets angry, just say, you're so handsome when you're angry. And then they stop. Because <laughs> people would see how much in love we were. We were married for I think 63 years since we were, we were kids, you know, our whole lives were together. Um, Cause I was still going to school and everything else. But anyway, um, we were in this restaurant waiting for a table and people, several people came over to us and said, how long have you two been married? Cause they could see how we were loving each other. Mm -hmm. I said, we've had 40 wonderful years of married life. The only trouble is they weren't consecutive. <laughs> then they looked at me like, oh, you rotten man, you. <laughs> yeah, but my wife, once a bunch of women came up to her after I had spoken and she did. And they said, oh, what's it like to be married to him? And she said, it's a struggle. And these women all looked so shocked and turned and looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I nodded my head. Yeah, because, see, the two of us 
knew it was something you work on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it takes, and especially when you got five kids. Oh, uh, let me just give you one of her funny punchlines. Because mm -hmm. three boys, and I said, honey, let's try again. Because I'd like to have a girl when we're older to take care of us. No. And I kept after her. So finally she said, all right, I'll try one more time. A few months later, they take an x-ray and the obstetrician said, you're going to have twins. Hmm. And my wife said to me, if it's two more boys, I am not coming home from the hospital. <laughs> That's why she was so good at handling. <laughs> Thank God I heard the obstetrician say, what a gentleman. He let his sister out first. Yay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I, I am always uh, uh, thrilled uh, when I start these programs uh, and also anticipatory uh, as we come to the end because of everything that will come in between. Uh, that's part of my, the excitement that I get with these programs. And I also remember, too, I want to say... Uh, I think it was Norman Vincent Peale. I think I may be wrong here. He's the guy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, who was in the hospital. He was told that he was going to die in like, I don't know, six weeks or something. And he said no. And he started watching all kinds, like Three Stooges and all of that kind of stuff yeah. and laughing. And he lived, in, I don't know, several more years after that. Yeah, he and I were good friends. He became a teacher for me. See, one of the things, again, what our parents teach us, Norman said, <clears throat> when I talked about how my parents told me things, and he said, oh, yes, his mother, and he'd have a horrible time, and his mother would say, Norman, if God slams one door further down the corridor, another will be open. So he grew up with that same thing, and I spoke at a lot of his conferences. As a matter of fact, one of the people I met was there was a gentleman named Max Cleland, I had all our five kids talk to him. Do you know who he was? The name and, does ring a bell. Yeah, he became a United States senator, but he picked up a hand grenade in Vietnam he thought had fallen from his belt, and it was a live grenade. Oh, Lord. Also off arms, like, I mean, you know, he couldn't do anything without help. But he was such a wonderful teacher about life, yeah. living. Yeah, he had one hell of a flat tire. Yeah. Really? Our five kids, because we all went to the conference to be a part of it with Norman. And um, yeah, Norman's wife would introduce him by saying, here's Norman, you know, not some big half hour. What a wonderful man. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he <laughs> my wife, wife, I mean, we lived a very similar lives. Yeah. But, you know, Max was there and I said to our kids, every one of you go and talk to him about life because he can teach you with what has happened to him. And here he is, you know, teaching other people, became a U.S. senator. Um, I mean, he was just an inspiration to everybody. You know, it, it's again, like a Mother Teresa, Helen Keller, all of them, yeah. you know, that what we're here to do. And I find that when I help somebody, I feel good. Yeah. No, and, and it's taught me maybe one last message to people. I don't okay. know how much time you have. It's about forgiveness. Um, because I've helped a lot of people who never repay me. And I'm talking about, you know, a lot of money. Yeah. 
and they, they, you know, give you handwritten notes. I'll pay you back in so many days. I just need this. It's an emergency, blah, blah, blah. I say, all right, I'll help you. And you never hear from them again. Mm. And I don't mind the people who do that and call you up and say, I am so sorry. Everything has gone wrong. I'm, you know, they're still your friend. They're still talking to you. But it's the ones who disappear, you know, never answer your phone calls, your emails or anything. And I have learned they have been my teachers, too, about forgiveness. And that's something that I have really worked on and feel so good about now that I'm not mad at those people because they've given me a freedom in my life. Instead of their burdening me, I'm free. I've done something for them and I'm free. And I got to tell you this true story. Uh, it's in one of my books called Love, Animals and Miracles, I think. But I brought a pet rabbit in our house because our house was like a zoo. We had all kinds of creatures. And people told me, keep it separate from your dogs and the other animals until they really get to know each other. Well, after about a week and 10 days, I stepped out of the house, came back in and found out one of the dogs had grabbed the rabbit. I thought they knew each other and wouldn't happen. And I felt awful. And the rabbit needed veterinary care and so forth. Um, and what had happened was the dog was out in the front yard and came in through the pet door and got the rabbit. Mm. Well, a couple of weeks later, because I would always go out in the front yard to bring the, the rabbit in at night because I was worried if, you know, some predator jumped the fence. I wasn't worried about the cats and dogs. And I'd go around calling the rabbit, whose name was Smudge. Smudge, Smudge, because I knew she didn't want to come in, so she'd hide. And I went out that night, and I couldn't find her anywhere. I'm looking under every bush, every behind every tree. I'm about to give up, and I see the dog, whose name was Furphy, lying on the ground. So I go over to pet him, and I notice something. Wait a minute. I see some black fur. And I realized, let me go over and pet him. Smudge was lying underneath him to hide. And they were best friends. That blew my mind. Here he has attacked her, threatened her life. And who was she using to hide under? <laughs> this big dog. <laughs> and he's taking care of her now. Mm. And that, to me, whenever I think about forgiving, you want to give yourself a break? Forgive. Use that example, how that rabbit could forgive that dog and they become best of friends. So that's what I try to do in my life now. Forgive people and become friends with them. Yeah. I mean, some of them don't want to be my friend still. You know, they're afraid of me now. Sure. But I let them know I love them and bless them. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing to add to that uh, is also to forgive yourself. Good one. Because, yes. you know, we, we hear many, many stories about how people will, uh, I, I mean, I still remember the story of uh, uh, this one World War II vet who actually flew all the way to Japan to forgive his jailer. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, it was very hard for the Japanese jailer, former jailer, to to accept, but I think he finally did. But it's healing not just to forgive others, it is even more healing to forgive ourselves, to put down that burden and say, look, 
I only did the best that I could with what I knew at the time. And it's most, most of the time that's the case. That's why you can say, yeah. well, you know, it's what the Bible teaches us. Yeah. I mean, we just had some Jewish holidays, which are teaching that lesson. Yeah. You know, say I'm sorry to the people you've offended. You also forgive yourself. You know, that you take these steps and heal yeah. and don't yeah. do those things again. There so, you, you know, again, if you have a flat tire, learn how to avoid another flat tire. Mm -hmm. Watch where you're going. <laughs> Exactly. Use that symbolism and keep your journals and deal with your feelings and uh, let people know, as I say, 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 I love you, too. Um, oh, yes. Because I have learned that saying I love you is a powerful weapon. I have literally done this with violent people on the street because I know they have not grown up with love and there was one violent young man that the cop wouldn't talk to because I said he's screaming and cursing. And the cop said, it's not my job to tell him to be quiet. I couldn't believe a cop would say that. Mm. I went over to him with the family yelling, he could have a gun, he could have a gun. I said to him, and this is in one of my books, 365 Prescriptions for the Soul, because I had forgotten about this until I was rereading my book. It happened many years ago. I went over to him. And I said, I want you to know something. I love you. I'm sorry your parents don't. Mm. He stopped screaming and drove away. It, it, and so I've done that in the street. I don't know what's happening in your life. I just want you to know I love you. Yeah. And every time I've done that to some violent person, uh, they've stopped and walked away. Yeah. And uh, so I'd rather give it a shot, you know, and let them know I really care. Um, and uh, hopefully that it'll change them in their life. On this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, Bernie Siegel, my guest, contributor to Mir Mayhem to Miracles. And uh, we are talking about uh, the work that he has been doing uh, for uh, some 88 years of his, a portion of the 88 years of his life, a large portion, and we're grateful that he has joined us here on the program. We are talking about uh, a lot of wonderful things on this program, and this particular series focuses on Mayhem to Miracles, the book that is out by uh, the uh, the publishing company Sacred Stories, sacredstoriespublishing.com. You can also go to Bernie Siegel, MD. Dot com to find out more about Bernie and all of the... Uh, how many books, Bernie? What's the number? Up to 19. 19 books, folks. Uh, you will then, uh, you get all of his books. You will have your own personal Bernie Siegel library and uh, a lot of great wisdom that has been uh, brought to us uh, from and through Bernie, and we're so grateful for his participating in this program. Bernie, I asked you this twice before, on the previous two interviews that we did with you, I'm going to ask you again those three questions that I like to ask all of my guests. You may have addressed them during the program, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do, I want to remind our listeners and viewers that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesday mornings for the special edition that's a 9 a.m. special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. 
you also can hear them in their full format. That's right. They are podcasts. And they're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations across the Internet. Hope that you will, uh, I know you will find it. Just look for Richard Dugan and tell me your story. And we are on YouTube, so you can watch these interviews. You can watch the two of us, the two bald guys, here on the program, conversing uh, uh, as we do about all kinds of wonderful things. Hope you'll do that, YouTube, and uh, Tell Me Your Story and Richard Dugan. I did notice there's another uh, channel called Tell Me Your Story, but uh, it's not this one. I'm the guy with the hat. Also encourage you, if you can, support us financially. We would be ever so grateful. We're grateful for those who have supported us and those who will. And all you have to do is go to PayPal and then send whatever you can and put in my email address, which is richard at richarddugan.com. It's that easy. And we have the PayPal account for your security as well as ours. We also ask you to spend time during the decade of perfect vision, going within, listening to that still small voice and just being calm and at peace and quiet. And if you're out in nature, listen to nature. Uh, it's, it's our greatest teacher out there. Uh, and we encourage you to uh, do that during this, the decade of perfect vision. With all of that, Bernie, let us start with the uh, first of three questions. Who is Bernie Siegel? Well, I'll tell you how I learned the answer to that. I'm on the board of directors of heaven as a visiting consultant. <clears throat> and the first time I was up there, I noticed the admission line. And, you know, when you get to the head of the line, what do they say to you? How do you want to be introduced to God? And this guy said, I'm a New York lawyer. And they said, come back when you know who you are. <laughs> Next person came up and said, how do you want to be introduced to God? And little old lady said, tell God one of his children is here. And they said, come on in. So... That's the part I feel about myself. And I'd like to say to God, hey, I'd like to be your right arm. I mean, I literally, that's a whole other show we could do, have an angel named George. People have seen him. See, I don't prepare talks. George gives them. I do the talking. I mean that. Mm -hmm. And when, when people started seeing him, Drawing his picture, describing him, it blew my mind because I met him in a meditation. So, and I know he saved my life when I was four years old, choking on a toy. Mm -hmm. um, he did a Heimlich maneuver on me because uh, I was out of my body as a happy four-year-old saying, oh, what a wonderful experience. You know, I know my mother's going to find me dead, but the, I preferred being dead. I was mad when I didn't die. Let me just say it in these ways. When I didn't die and came back into my body, I yelled, who did that? Those are the first <laughs> words because I had decided to be dead and God changed everything. Mm. And I realized it was George. He was taking care of me. But um, what else is the question again? Because George lost track of it. <laughs> 
Well, you and I are on the same track because uh, the universe asks the questions on this program. I'm just along for the ride. But my question to you basically was, who is Bernie Siegel? Yeah, I'd say I'm a child of God. And uh, before I go to bed at night now, I, I started reading the Oxford Bible from page one all the way through. And I, I read other spiritual literature, too. You know, to try to teach me. Um, yeah, there are things in the Bible that upset me when people are violent and killing each other. And then there are things when Jesus steps forward uh, and says something, you know, that helps heal. And, and oh, you'll love this, what I learned. Um, the Mel Brooks visited um, the author. I forgot his name. Uh, maybe it'll pop into my head. But he was visiting who had Guillain-Barre disease. He's paralyzed lying in bed in the hospital. Mel Brooks goes to visit him. And the author who was in bed um, wrote a book about it. He said, Mel Brooks came into the room and said, in the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And he said to Mel, it didn't work. Oh, I think it was Joseph Heller. And Brooks said, it was worth a try. So when I read the book, I wrote to Mel Brooks. That's the kind of crazy person I am. I said, Mel, the trouble is what you said. If you'd walk in and said your sins are forgiven, he would have gotten up and been well again. It's not a mechanical project, you know, rise and walk, stand and walk. It's about your sins. I got a letter from Mel, which made me know he was a real person. <laughs> Because, you know, it's like if you write to the president, you don't get an answer. And he wrote back saying, thanks for straightening out the Jesus talk. Never again will I forget to say your sins are forgiven before I do my regular mumbo jumbo. <laughs> and then the letter ended with your sins are forgiven, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> we became friends because of that. Oh, that's beautiful. He's a real person. Yeah. As are you. As are else. you. Let me ask you my second question. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, helping people to heal. Uh, <clears throat> one humorous one that I tried, I wrote to my college. I said, I only have one C in four years in creative writing. If you raise that to a B, now that I've had books published, I will, you know, graduate with high honors. And they wrote back. I mean, that's my sense of humor, see? Mm -hmm. I thought they'd laugh. And they wrote me multiple-page letter about their inability to alter grades after you graduate. <laughs> and I felt sorry for them, you know, because I wanted them to laugh, not say, what is wrong with this guy? We can't, you know. But it, it's, again, helping people to heal. And reparenting. Oh, that's something. That word. I've had suicidal people say to me, Will you be my father? This was in my office. Will you be my CD? I said, what do you mean a CD? My chosen dad. Hmm. So since that day, I have started saying to self-destructive people, I love you. I'll be your chosen dad. And I have a card here that I keep right next to my computer. That's This is this year's Happy Father's Day to my bonus dad. This is a young woman who called me on the phone. It was on my answering machine and I turned it on 
Dr. Siegel, do you have Jack Kevorkian's phone number? I want to be dead. <laughs> I have a brain tumor, a father who sexually abused me. I want to be dead. Mm. I called her. I said, Becky, I love you. I'll be your father. Mm. But, you know, let me love you. Let's, mm. so she's alive. And it's probably 30 years later, she's still alive and sending me cards every couple of weeks with lots of love. She sustains me now. Mm. But um, yeah, I'm her father and she's alive. And, and if we did that to each other, because yeah. I've done that to my patients who were badly burned. One said, I'm, I'm scarred. Because she was wearing a turtleneck sweater with long sleeves and 98 degrees outside. I said, what the hell's wrong with you, Madeline? I'm ugly. Then that summer she needed a job. I said, I can get you a job at a nursing home. I knew she'd have to wear an outfit that would show all her scars. She had fallen into the fireplace mm. and that's what I took care of her as a kid. And so she said, oh, okay. And she took the job. And then when she came in the office, I said, how's your job going? And these were her exact words. Nobody noticed my scars. I said, Madeline, when you're giving love, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. You see, what does that do for you? What did it do for me? Years go by. Bernie, I'm getting married. My father died, so I want you to be my father at my wedding. And I said, thank you. What a gift that was. Mm. And she said... I want to dance with you as my father. And they played through the years, Kenny Rogers, you never let me down, you turned my life around. And that's what makes your life worthwhile. Absolutely. So that's what I'm trying to do all the time. I know people are wounded. I try to, you know, be forgiving and, and, and help myself. So yeah, I work on myself too, as I said. I find myself getting angry at somebody or something else, but I, I, and my dog is named Rags. I would tell people to look up a poem entitled Rags because it teaches you about life. So I, I'm always giving symbols. Um, it's because it's a, it's a story about a soldier who goes home from the army, goes to medical school. That's why it walloped me. And who does he see cut open on the table? the dog that saved their lives on the front rags. Mm. Yeah. And what does he learn from that dog? Say, so I'm learning from our rabbit, from our dog, from all the animals. Um, and our house was a zoo. I mean that literally veterinarians <laughs> uh, used to give us all these exotic pets. Nobody wanted. And with the five kids, you know, we had handled people to take care of them. And, and again, the affection, all the eggs were hatched in the house in incubators. Mm. We had ducks, geese, I mean, all kinds of creatures, exotic pets. I mean, this place was a zoo. <laughs> People thought I was nuts because they'd shout about this thing running across the floor in the living room. I said, yeah, yeah, don't be upset. That's the pet. That's a pet? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even mice, everything. But anyway, yeah. 
Um, well, what was I telling you? The what you wanted to achieve, what you hoped to or wanted to achieve through the work that you're doing now. Oh, oh, oh no, no, it was about the eggs. The oh, eggs. the eggs. That's right. They were hatched in the All house in incubators. In yeah, taking our kids with their parents, and when huh? the kids huh? went to school, the ducks and geese used to try to get on the school bus. <laughs> walk down the driveway and try to jump up onto the step, you know, and the, and the drivers understood what was going on. So they didn't scream at me, you know, you idiot, what are you doing? I got to get the, yeah, that, that everybody was touched by that love yeah. and affection mm. that these animals had. Mm. So, you know, we had goats and all kinds of creatures fenced in and, but they all thought they were family. So yeah. I used to warn people to be careful you know, because they may, if you feel hoofs on your back and somebody standing up. That's right. Know. That's right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you my final question before we wrap this up. And that is, what is your life's purpose? What is my life's purpose? Oh, I used to have a funny answer. I can't remember what it was. Well, but. I'd say it's to help people live their authentic life and realize the power that they have, meaning what the faith, hope, love, you know, I wrote Love, Medicine and Miracles, Peace, Love and Healing, and a lot of other wonderful titles, a book of miracles, because it's the potential. Maybe that's the best word. The message I have for people is you have a potential. So when people came back to the office free of a disease they were supposed to die of, I would hear answers. I left my troubles to God. You know, I moved. I took my job. I, I got a dog. Uh, I mean, they always had something they did. And we have to realize we have that potential. Hmm. And, and don't let others take that away from you with their words. Just live your life. And that not to feel like a failure, because what shocked me was I sent out 100 letters saying, you want to live a longer, better life, come to a meeting. Twelve women showed up. I was expecting several hundred people because the secretary didn't say it's only for those who received the letter. So I thought everybody will bring their friends and relatives. And I realized people are afraid of failure. See? He wants you to read a book. I'm busy. He wants you to draw pictures. He wants you to answer questions. He wants you to talk about your feelings. I, I, I you know, I'm not an artist. I'll have my 12 year old do that. Um, it's all that craziness. So stop being afraid of failure and participate in life, your authentic life. And when you get tired, then it's okay to say, I'm tired of this body. Yeah, my father said to my mother, so people know this is appropriate too. I need to get out of here. And he, she said, help him out of bed. I said, he's talking about his body. So I can tell you, my wife died in her sleep, her father, her mother. Oh, I knew my mom wouldn't die with me in the room because she had um, leukemia and outlived everybody's expectations and her doctors were now her students. They were so impressed with her and what she had done. 
But I said to people, don't think I'm a terrible son, because if I leave the room, I know my mother. She's not going to die when I'm in the room. That would be letting me down. And sure enough, I stepped out of her hospital room, came back half hour later. They said she died. I said, see, that's what I'm talking about. But let me, maybe this is a wonderful closing statement mm-hmm. from my mother. Because she so lived my sermon. It was incredible. I forgot she had cancer. I mean it. She said to me one day, I have to go get a blood count. I said, for what? Don't you remember I have cancer? I said, no, I don't remember. That's how she lived. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> Thich Nhat Hanh, in one of his book, um, talked about bells of mindfulness in uh, um, you know, countries where he lived. The, and um, he said, bells will ring all through the day. You don't hear them here. You hear noise in the United States. But in the Buddhist countries, we ring temple bells. And you stop what you're doing and you breathe peace. Then you get back to what you're doing. Well, I told everybody, put it on my website, called my family. I said, create a temple bell. It could be any sound. You could hear a car horn. Stop and breathe peace. The phone rings. That's what I began to do. Because you get all these stupid robocalls. But I noticed I'm not mad at them now. Mm-hmm. Phone would ring about five or six times. And I'd pick it up and say, hello. And I'm not mad. Because they made me feel better. Yeah. Well, one day I called my mother. And the phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. And I'm getting panicky. You know, because she's a senior on her own. So I'm about to hang up and call the neighbor to say, run over and see if my mother's all right. And she picks up the phone. I hear her say, hello. I said, Ma, are you okay? Why are you asking? You didn't answer the phone. I'm doing what you tell people. I'm breathing peace. <laughs> I said, Ma, not you. You answer the phone. <laughs> That's beautiful. Bernie, Bernie Siegel, thank you again for... Another wonderful uh, conversation, and uh, we look forward to having more with you uh, for as long as uh, you are with us here. Uh, And I wouldn't mind if, you know, you followed me around from the other side. Uh, You know, just, you know, just uh, be clear as to the messages you're sending so that uh, uh, I can can pass those on to the rest of the world. I I, I just, you're a beautiful human being. Uh, I, I love your hairstyle. Uh, we must go to the same bar. What's in us. That's right. That's a good statement you just made. You want to know about yourself? How do you feel about other people? Yeah, that's it. That's it right there. Bernie Siegel's been my guest. Again, the book is entitled Mayhem the Miracles, and his story is Spiritual Flat Tires. And we hope that you will pick up a copy uh, at your bookstore, Amazon, or go to sacredstoriespublishing.com. I'm Richard Dugan. And I thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love.